Amen. He keeps me singing. We'll talk a little bit about that this morning. Grab a Bible and turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 9. We're continuing our sermon series through the Gospel of Luke. The title of this particular sermon series within the Gospel of Luke is called A Kingdom Mindset. So we're going to take a look at verses 51 through 56 in Luke chapter 9 this morning. If you do not have a Bible, there should be a pew Bible in front of you that you can grab and turn to page 868. You can follow along there. Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56. Hear God's word this morning. Talking about Jesus. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to set our face towards Jesus today. And like a horse on the race track, may you put blinders on our eyes so that no one or nothing will allow our focus to get off Jesus for the remainder of our time together this day and in the days to come. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You have a homework assignment today. Following the worship service, I want you to go directly home or I want you to get on your cell phone following the service. I want you to go to YouTube. And here's what I want you to type. So take a note if you can't remember it. He will hold me fast. Ukraine. He will hold me fast, Ukraine. Or you can type, he will hold me fast, Ukrainian Christians. What will you see? Well, you'll hear a tune that should be familiar to you. We sang a hymn as a hymn of response all through Advent that was titled, He Will Hold Me Fast. In fact, last Sunday, Miss Janet had the choir sing that hymn as the choral anthem, He Will Hold Me Fast. If you YouTube, He Will Hold Me Fast, Ukraine, here's what you will see. You will see a post that's recent. It's less than a dozen Christians in Ukraine gathered in a house singing that hymn with smiles on their faces, knowing that their nation is about to be invaded. 
by Russia. Where was their focus? Their focus was on Jesus. It was difficult for me not to begin tearing up today as the choir just sang, He keeps me singing. Our brothers and sisters in Christ this morning are still singing. Do you know why? Because they know that Jesus will hold them fast. Regardless of what they're facing today and regardless of what they face as a nation this week. Where's your focus this morning? Are you focused on home improvements like I am? (laughs) Are you focused on homework that you have to complete before tomorrow? Are you focused on your work that you've got many appointments and meetings and some big decisions this week? Or are you focused on your hobbies? Where's your focus this morning? The big idea of today's message is this. Does your focus mirror Jesus' focus? This whole passage centers around where Jesus is focused. And that's really the, the, the big idea of this passage is that Jesus is focused on a specific task at hand. And as followers of Jesus Christ, as little Christ, little Christians... Does your focus mirror Jesus' focus this morning? There are two observations I want us to take a look at from our passage this morning as we analyze where our focus is as a Christian and as a church this morning. First, I want you to notice, the first observation I want you to notice is notice Jesus' task. Notice Jesus' task. Verse 51 says this, When his days drew near for him to be taken up, He set his face to go to Jerusalem. Here's what you need to understand about Luke's gospel. That at chapter 9, verse 51, we face what is the turning point of Luke's gospel. And it seems radical because we're only about 38% of our way into Luke's gospel. But it's precisely at this point in Luke's gospel that Jesus turns and begins setting his sights towards Jerusalem. What follows in the next 10 chapters of Luke's gospel is unparalleled in any of the other gospel accounts that we have. Because at this point, Jesus is going to begin making a very solemn progress towards the cross, towards Calvary, towards his suffering in Jerusalem. And all of his teaching over the next ten chapters are going to be seasoned with the fact that Jesus is like a racehorse that has blinders set on him and he's focused on the cross, the task at hand. Well, we learned that the Gospels are a specific type of genre of literature. We can easily say that the Gospels are biographies about Jesus' life. That's true. But you notice that when we're at chapter 9 of a 24-chapter Gospel, only 
a third of the way through, Jesus begins setting his sights towards his suffering. There's something special about the Gospels. Are they biographies? Yes. But they're biographies about Jesus. And so as you study Jesus' biography, you're going to notice that if you compare his biographies with other biographies written about Stonewall Jackson, I have one about Walt Disney. I know you all hate Walt Disney World, but I like Walt Disney. He intrigues me. The amount of focus on the details that we would give to any other biography is different than the, the, the focus of the Gospels. The, the focus of the Gospels are upon Jesus' identity and his mission. And so notice what is Jesus' task. It's his suffering. J.C. Ryle says this, Jesus knew full well what was before him. The betrayal. The unjust trial. The mockery, the scourging, the crown of thorns, the spitting, the nails, the spear, the agony of the cross, all were doubtlessly spread before Jesus' mind's eye. But his heart was set on paying the price of our redemption. Where was Jesus' focus? On the Father's focus. Christians, where is your focus today? Is your focus the same as Jesus' focus on the Father's plan for your life? That's where we need to have our focus this morning, is upon the task at hand. True or false? And this is not a rhetorical question. I want you to answer verbally. It's still reverent. Don't get nervous, Presbyterians. Think about honoring your father and mother. You're honoring your pastor to answer this question. True or false? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all three equally God. True or false? True. Amen. Very good. Good deal. We talk about that in terms of theology as the ontological view of the Trinity. That means that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in their being, in their essence, are all three equally God, although there's only one true God. But theologically, we talk about something else called the economical view of the Trinity. What does that mean? Well, that the role that the different persons of the Godhead play in, in creation and redemption are different. And that theological concept is highlighted here in verses 51 through 56. Why? Because it says that at this point, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. What does that teach us? It teaches us that God the Father had a plan of salvation, and God the Son came to accomplish that plan of salvation. And then we learn through the rest of uh, the Bible, particularly in the book of Acts, that the Holy Spirit applies the work of redemption to God's elect. Why is that significant? Because Jesus knew the task that was before him. And he was focused solely upon it. One of my favorite southerners was born in West Virginia. In fact, he was born north of where I, Jennifer and I were born. His name is Thomas Jonathan Jackson, nicknamed Stonewall Jackson. I'll never forget when I served at a church in Georgia, they said, well, you're just, you're just a Yankee. I was like, oh, really? Did you consider Stonewall Jackson a Yankee? No, he was a good Southerner. I was like, well, he was born further north than I was. 
Shut them up for about a day. Well, Thomas Jonathan Jackson got his nickname Stonewall in the first battle of Manassas, and particularly on July 21st, 1861. As the Confederate soldiers headed into battle, it was General Bernard B. who said this, Look, men, there is Jackson standing like a stone wall. Let us decide to die here and we will conquer. What do we learn about Stonewall Jackson? That he was focused on the task at hand. And he was willing to die to accomplish the mission that was given him. What does that have to do with me and you and Jesus? Well, notice, we can't save people from their sins. We can leave this sanctuary with all the zealous enthusiasm for Christ that we can muster or we can receive from a beautiful sanctuary, a beautiful worship service, and hopefully faithful preaching of God's word. We can leave this service in this sanctuary today zealous about saving souls for Jesus Christ. But do you know what the truth is? We can't do it. (laughs) I can't save anyone. You can't save anyone. So how is our task at hand different than Jesus' task at hand? Only Jesus can save people, but our job, our task, is to spread the word. Just like my wife, when she hears about a good cell in Bartow, she spreads the word. She calls it good gossip. That's the way we are to be as Christians. And that's what I want us to focus on as we focus on a kingdom mindset coming off of a missions conference. That where is your focus? Is your focus on the task at hand? Is your focus where Jesus would have you focus, which is this, that your job is to spread the word, that Jesus saves, that Jesus saves. That in the face of whatever you're facing, both personally or us as a nation, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ also gives us a reason to keep on singing. Why? Because he will hold us fast and so our task at hand is to be witnesses for Jesus where we live Bartow Polk County where we work and where you play does your focus mirror Jesus's focus I wish I would give Jesus as much attention and commitment as I give my hobbies How about you? I wish when I was 9 or 10 years old, I gave Jesus the similar type of focus that I gave soccer. Does your focus mirror Jesus' focus? Jesus' task was to save his people from their sins. Our task is to spread the word that Jesus saved. That's the first observation I want us to notice in our passage. That's just verse 51. I'll speed up for verses 52 through 56, I promise. The second observation is this. Notice Jesus' timetable. Notice Jesus' timetable. Look at what it says. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. There were at least 13 of them together. True? Jesus and then plus 12 disciples I'm from West Virginia, but 12 plus 1, even in West Virginia, makes 13. 
But there could have been others that were with Jesus as well. And so what Jesus is doing is just a hospitable thing to do, to send some people before him that will make preparations as they go into the town, the village of Samaria, to say, hey, look, Jesus is coming with his posse here. We need to make sure we have enough food and we have enough room for places for them to stay. In the Greek, it says that he sent his messengers ahead of his face. And so there are actually three points in the original text where it it talks about Jesus' face and setting his face. In verse 51, then there in verse 52, it's hard to see it in the English. And then in verse 53, it says, but the people in verse 53 did not receive him. Why? Because his face was set towards Jerusalem. What's happening here with the Samaritans' response? It's a blender of a blender of circumstances. Part of the reason for at least the apathy, if not outright hostility to Jesus, goes back. We've got to take a little bit of a trip down memory lane. The Samaritans were considered by the Jews a mixed breed, and so they were considered inferior to many Jewish people. Because Samaritans were a mixture of the intermarriage of Jewish people and Gentiles, really as a result of when the northern kingdom of Israel was conquered by the Assyrians back in 722 B.C. And so it makes sense that some of the settlers there that were in in Israel at the time that were not exiled, they intermarried with some of the Gentile Assyrians as a result of the Assyrians infiltrating Israel at that time. And so many of the Jewish people considered uh, the Samaritans half breezes so there was a racial tension that you can't ignore in the fact that the Samaritans were typically hated by the Jews and thus the Jews hated and thus the Samaritans hated the Jews but there's more than just a racial tension happening there as a result of the racial tension and the Jews viewing the Samaritans as inferior there developed a religious tension as well the Samaritans were not allowed to go down to Jerusalem and worship at the temple. In fact, if you read in Ezra chapter 4, the Samaritans offer to help the Israelites rebuild the temple. But do you know how the Israelites respond? Thanks, but no thanks. We don't need your help. And so as a result, the Samaritans built a temple at Mount Gerizim that was a place where they sought to worship Yahweh, the one true God. And so what's happening here in In this rejection of Jesus as a Messiah, what's happening here is the rejection of Jesus is a little bit of racial tension. There's a little bit of religious tension, but don't miss the theological tension that we all have a decision to make when it comes to Jesus Christ. Are we going to receive him or reject him? Are you going to be for him or against him? There is no neutral territory. And so we see here, the Samaritan's response, but then we are met by the sons of thunder and their response. And we begin to see why they got their name the way they did. Verse 54 is when his disciples, James and John, who are known as the sons of thunder, saw it. They said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Sons of thunder. I love it. I love it. Hey, if you go into battle, James and John are the kind of guys you want in the foxhole with you, amen? 
Now, why are they frustrated? They are frustrated because there's probably this, some of this racial tension building up in them. There's some of this religious tension building up in them. But I'm going to think the best of them that they know that Jesus is the Messiah. And they want to honor Christ. And some scholars say, well, James and John were also with Jesus up on the mountain of transfiguration. And you remember that it was also Moses and Elijah that were with Jesus and the disciples up on the mountain of transfiguration. And so some scholars seem to think that seeing Elijah at the mountain of transfiguration made his whole ministry be kind of fresh on their minds. And so they're like, hey, Jesus, remember when Elijah called fire down from heaven and consumed the prophets of Baal? Wouldn't now be a good time to do that too? What does Jesus say? No. Verse 55, but he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. So boring. Wouldn't it be better if he'd called down fire from heaven and just zapped them right then and there? Wouldn't that have made you happy? Make for an interesting read. But why does Jesus put the pause on their desire for revenge? Notice Jesus' timetable. Jesus is saying that he has come now in the specific point of redemptive history and that now he's come to justify sinners, not to judge sinners. He's come this first time as a suffering servant, but the next time he will come as a victorious king. And at that time, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why is this important? To us today, we need to understand where we live in Jesus' timetable of history. Friends, do you realize that now is the time of salvation? Now is the time to spread the gospel. Because right now, Jesus is not judging the world as a victorious king. He's sitting there patiently, not desiring that any men should be condemned. But rather, now is the time for the gospel to be spread. And so is your focus the same as Jesus' focus? Do you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? Do you long to see people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? That's Christ's focus. Is that your focus? Confession's good for the soul. How many of you have ever carved your name or your initials in a tree with a knife? Anybody? Oh, some of you lovebirds out there. Yeah, Joiners did that? Wow, okay. <laughs> okay. Now, this is really good confession for your soul. We won't judge you. <laughs> uh, how many of you have ever carved anything or done any graffiti in like a bathroom anybody I saw I saw a few hands go up and go down very quickly so I went to seminary at RTS Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte North Carolina and so we we took over an old Baptist church building that that was turned into the seminary and uh, I'll never forget one day going into the restroom I, I'm going somewhere with this trust me it does relate back to the passage in Jesus uh, but go with me into the, into the restroom there just for a second and I'll never forget looking at this one bathroom stall that had graffiti all over the bathroom stall. 
I found that a little shocking in a seminary. Because I would think future Presbyterian ministers wouldn't be prone to graffiti, period. But particularly in a bathroom. And so it caught my attention. I thought, well, what is that? And carved in one of the bathroom stalls was essentially this. One million people died during the Christian Crusades. More people have been murdered in the name of God and religion. Why are you here, was the question. Which begged a lot of other questions. Did a student carve that (laughs) into the stall? Did someone from the outside of the seminary that was not a Christian come in with the purpose and intention of carving that into the bathroom stall? I'll never forget that. I'll never forget reading those words in a seminary bathroom in Charlotte, North Carolina. The home of Billy Graham. But you know what, friends? That is an objection to the Christian faith that we all will encounter if we have conversations with people we know and love about Jesus. And what's your response to them? There are a lot of people that are just like the Samaritans in this passage. They are hostile to Jesus. And we need to be willing to respond to them the way Christ would have us respond to them. Notice that James and John want to call fire down from heaven. And there are some of you in your conversation with those that don't know Jesus and don't love Jesus that express hostility to Christ. There may be times in your conversation you're like, man, it'd be a lot easier if I could just call down fire from heaven and just extinguish them into ashes right now. But how would Jesus have us respond to them? I think this. You're correct. A million people died in the Christian crusades. And you know what? That was wrong. That was sin. God was not honored in those Christian crusades. In fact, Christ himself would not have applauded their efforts. Because now is the time of salvation on the redemptive historical timeline. Now is the time for us to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. As our Lord Jesus prayed, as he hung on the cross, looking at those that had crucified him, looking at those who had mocked him and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I received a text message this morning. I won't divulge who it came from. But it relayed to me a message of a minister in Ukraine that he sent out to some of his prayer partners this morning. He said this. I was awake all night last night to the sound of bombs exploding around me. It was difficult, but I finished preparing my sermon. I will make my way to our sanctuary this morning. And if it is still standing, we will gather, we will worship Jesus, and I will preach for his glory. 
Where is that brother's focus this morning? It's on Jesus. Does his focus mirror the focus of his Savior? I believe so. What about your focus this morning? Where is your focus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely to us this morning. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated this day at the right hand of God the Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to turn to hymn number five.